Happy Sunday, Shoreline City. I'm so incredibly excited about this weekend. We are one church in four locations. As a matter of fact, we are at our brand new Bishop Arts Oak Cliff location today. Hey, can we give a huge round of applause for all that God is doing Yes, church at White Rock, North Dallas, Antigua, and now Bishop Arts Oak Cliff meeting at WH Adamson High School. We're so excited to everyone who's with us for the first time at every single one of our locations. I want you to know we are thrilled you're here and anticipating God do something significant and beautiful in your heart and your life. I cannot wait to see what's on the horizon for all of us today. Uh, I hope you brought your Bibles. Uh, If you did, uh, grab them. If you didn't, it's okay. We're about to put all the scriptures on the screen. But before I jump into the scriptures, let me tell you this. Uh, Just just yesterday, my, uh, my daughter... She is, uh, she's three years old, love her, she's amazing, she's wonderful, I mean, the most beautiful little girl in the entire world. Uh, I, I can't remember if I was downstairs or um, I was just in the bedroom, and she comes in and says, um, Earl, whatever, 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 she's three, Earl, now my name's Earl, and which I know is an average name, but it's my name nonetheless. But why in the world would my three-year-old be calling me Earl? Now, I know, I know some people who aren't black are okay with this, okay? They're okay with their kids calling them by their first name. But I was like, girlfriend, oh, no, you did not. We do not call daddy by his first name. We call him daddy. We say Sir, even we can say schmooker schmooker. I don't know, but you can't you can't call me. You can't call me Earl. What does that have to do with today? You're gonna find out in just a second. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six. I'm gonna start reading in verse number one. I'm gonna read a bunch of verses here, but I want you to follow along with me. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1, Isaiah is what we would call a major prophet. There are significant themes and prophecies about the coming Messiah and so much truth found in this beautiful book of the Bible. But in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. They were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse number four, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, I said, here am I, send me. He said to 
me. He said, go, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing and never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the hearts of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their ears, their eyes rather. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, go with me. Go with me. Uh, stick with me here, okay? We're not done. Stick with me. Go to, go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Stick with me. John chapter 12, verse 37. Then we're going to skip to verse 39. Stick with me. This, this is going to be good. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Skip to verse 39. For this reason... They could not believe because as I, as Isaiah says elsewhere, verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Remember, we just read that in Isaiah chapter 6. Now verse 41, this is where it all comes together. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isaiah said what he said in, in chapter 6 of his book because he saw Jesus' glory. Now this, my friends, is really important. This is paramount for you and I understanding who God is because how you and I see God has everything to do with how you and I follow God. How do you see him? Like, like when you and I get a picture of God, when you get a picture of who God is, who, who is he? Is he Morgan Freeman and Bruce Almighty, you know, up on the, up on the throne somewhere? Or is he a God with a, with a closed fist and clenched teeth? Is he a God that's like a coach to you, ready to put you on the bench anytime you make a mistake? Is he a God that was maybe like your earthly father who was not present or who was really present? What, what's the picture that you have of God? Because whatever picture you and I have of God will impact how you and I follow him. If we think he is a taskmaster, then it will, it will impact how we follow him. If we see him as loving, it will impact how we follow him. If we see him as only kind, but never strong, will impact how we follow him. I, I, I want you to know that I, I see, I see that, that awe and honor can coexist with intimacy and care. And today I just felt compelled. I felt compelled this weekend. For Shoreline City to, to unwrap, to unwrap for all of us who I think God really is. And I know we're in a relationship series, and I know we've talked about dating and marriage, and, and next week's going to be a ton of fun because my wife, my wife and I are going to be up here together again, and all of us are going to send in questions, and it's going to be a ton of fun and, and hopefully really, really impactful and really, really uh, impart a more information and inspiration and hope and life and purpose and vision into every one of our relationships. But, but before we go there again next week, I felt... This week, we needed to make sure we paused for a second and dealt with our relationship with God. How do you and I see him? Do we see him as only awe 
and hard and far away? And, or do we only see him as caring and loving and kind? Uh, what, can these things be married together? I, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this is my prayer for my own personal life. So this is my prayer for our church as well. I don't want a church that sees God as so loving he can't correct us. Or so correcting he can't love us. I want us to see the fullness of God because I'm, 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 I'm sensing and I'm seeing and I'm hearing way too often people trying to take facets of God but not wanting to digest the fullness of God. And I want us to be a church family that says, God, I want all that you have for me. I want all of your power. I want all of your kindness. I want all of your goodness. I want all of your hope. I want all of your power. I want everything that you have for me. There is not one aspect of you that I want set aside. God, if I need it to make me better, then God make me better. Whatever you put on the inside of me, that's what I want pulled out of me. So almighty God, do not hold back all that you are because of my conveniences and preferences. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I know I can't even handle all that God is, but I still want it all. I know I can't, I can't possibly wrap my brain around all that God is, but I still want all of him. I know I cannot fully comprehend the majesty and the awesomeness and the depth and the power and, and the gravity of who God is. It's all too weighty for me. It would be like you and I going to the ocean and thinking one little small teacup could actually carry or hold the entire ocean. We all Oh, no, it can't, but I'm still going to the ocean anyway. And I'm saying, God, I want all that you are and all that you have and all that you've destined for me to be. I want it all. I took, uh, I took the strength finders test, uh, not too long ago. Uh, it's a fascinating book. I encourage you to read it and, and go through and discover uh, some of your unique design. It will help you understand how you interact with people and and, and, and even help you understand what power zone you ought to be put in so you can maximize the potential and the call that God has on your life. But with that being said, I, I, was, I learned that one of my gifts is harmony. And this harmony gift uh, is a gift that, that brings things together. Uh, sometimes even opposing worlds can come together. But, but people with different backgrounds or different ideas or different thoughts uh, I'm wired to help bring people together. This is one of the things I think is beautiful about Shoreline City, and it's definitely uh, not me. This all goes back to to God and who he is because every gift I have has come from him. But if you look at our beautiful church family, we've got people coming together from all different walks and backgrounds. That's why this church looks like heaven. That's why no matter where you are in your story or on your journey, you are welcome here, and we value and we love you already. But I felt compelled to bring some worlds together. I feel like some people are thinking, because God is loving, he can't be correcting. Or others are saying, if God is correcting, he can't be loving. And I just need all of us to understand that God is love. And every single thing he does is motivated and comes from love. Even the things that hurt. Look with me in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 7 and 9. Endure hardship as discipline. This is one of those verses that we wish was written, ripped out of the Bible. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what, what children are not disciplined by their father? Verse number nine. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and not be crushed, but actually live. This verse here is not in opposition with the next verse I'm about to read. It's found in Matthew. Matthew chapter number 11, verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says these words, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you weary today? Are you burdened today? Is there anything going on in your life, in your family, in your heart? Is there anything that you're battling at your job? Are there some thoughts that you have going through your own mind that you're trying to figure out and understand right now? Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are are, are you weighed down? Right now, do the people in your life think everything is going great in your life, but you know your soul is just heavy? Jesus says these words here. He says, come to me, all who are weary. And wiping tears from their eyes and are weighed down with the cares of this life. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Okay, Jesus here, he seems like. His arms are open wide. He's like, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Let me hug you, let me hug you. And then Hebrews is like, hey, you know, God, he's also a good father that's willing to discipline. And these things are not in opposition with each other. I'm just trying to let us understand that this is the fullness of who God is. And all of who God is is necessary for you and I to understand how to interact with him properly. Okay. We started off here. We started off talking about my daughter, calling me by my first name. And I'm saying, L, I love you, but you're three, and I got to teach you. You got to listen to daddy. I love you unconditionally. I am so for you, but I also have to help you understand that if I say stop when you're running into the street, I need you to stop. If I say, as a matter of fact, just so you know, we actually don't use the word stop in our family. We use the word freeze. I've read that somewhere. So now if our kids are ever, we've taught them when they were younger, if they're ever running into the street, we say freeze, and it's kind of like a game. Freeze, and they do it every time. When you say stop, they kind of hear that and just keep on running. But I need her, when I say freeze, I need her to be able to respond, not because I'm a control freak, but because I love her so much, and I'm trying to set her up effectively for her future. I'm trying to set her up effectively 
effectively to be able to respond well to authority. I'm trying to set up effectively so that whenever some issues are coming her way, she will understand there's a voice in her life that trusts her and loves her and is so for her. But if I dumb myself down so much and she does not understand that I'm not only a loving father, but this loving father expresses his love with setting up boundaries at times, then she will just go and do whatever she wants to do whenever she wants to do it. And because she's three, she does not know what's best for her. And the reality is the almighty God, when compared to us, it is, it is just the same. He is almighty and wonderful and knows everything. And you and I are a three-year-old that can barely figure things out. And we think we know more than we do. Come on, church, help me with this. We think we know more. We think we know what's best. We think we know what's best for us. We think we know what decisions we ought to make. But we need a father that can say, no, that relationship's not good for you. No, stop sleeping around here. That's not best for your soul. No, don't cheat people out of their money. That's not best for you or for the relationship. No, don't go that way. But also a father that will say, yes, keep on pursuing me. And yes, I want all of your heart. And yes, step into your destiny. And yes, you have a plan. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And yes, I'm on your side. And yes, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. And yes, I fashioned you and formed you in your mother's womb when I put you on the earth for such a time as this. And yes, I am fighting battles for you that you don't even know that I'm fighting. And yes, worship works. And yes, the word still works. And yes, stay on your knees. And yes, keep your hands lifted. And yes, I am on your side. Yes, I am God Almighty and I know you by name. That's who you and I are connecting with. And I think Isaiah chapter 6, I think it just maps us out beautifully. I just think it paints a picture. It paints a picture for us of glory and grace. Of glory and grace. And that's the title of today's message. Of glory and grace. Verse number one of Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. This king, uh, he made some poor choices. Uh, This king ended up being set outside of the camp. Uh, He had bum-rushed his way into the place of the priest and was stricken with leprosy and was set outside the camp, and he did not end his days well. This king is a picture of you and I separated from God. On the outside looking in, stained, broken, hurting, leprous, if you will. In this year that King Uzziah died, in this year that he was on the outs, this is when I saw the Lord is what Isaiah tells us. I love that Isaiah is letting us know here that even when people are hurting and even when there's brokenness in the world, you can still see the Lord. Even when things aren't going exactly the way you might want them to, you can still see the Lord, that God is still actually pursuing and after people. So those of you who are with us today, and right now all hell is breaking loose around you, please understand, you can still see the Lord. But what does Isaiah see? He sees the Lord not weak, 
not feeble, not downcast. He sees the Lord high and exalted. Now, let me make an inappropriate joke for just a second. When we see the word high in scripture, it's not what some of you might be thinking, like high, like Colorado high. No, that's not what we're talking about here. High and exalted is saying, man, he's majestic. He's massive. He's supreme. He's above all. I I saw him high and exalted. I saw him like when somebody scores a winning basket or or the end of the championship game and they pick up the coach and they they put him on the shoulders or they put her on the shoulders and, and the coach is high and exalted, kind of above everyone else saying, you did a great job, but this is even beyond that. High and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. I wish I could get into that right now, but I'm not going to because I want to get to verse number two. Above him were seraphim. This is, these are the burning ones. Isaiah's looking up and he's seeing these angels, these angelic beings, and it looks like they're massive flames of fire flying around the temple. They're huge. They're massive. With two wings, they're flying. But with, with, with the other two wings, they're covering their face. And with the other two wings, they're covering their feet. And again, they're in the presence of the Lord Almighty, the King of glory. And they have to cover their face because their eyes can't look on that purity. And they have to cover their feet, signifying perhaps that they can't go their own way. They can't walk their own path. They can only walk the path of the one that they're worshiping. And they are flying in the temple and they're saying something to each other and they're not saying God you're nice they're not saying God you're cute they're not saying God let me just cuddle with you and I'm telling you God is loving and he's kind and he's gracious but before you ever get to the kindness and graciousness and all of that of God I also need us to understand that the God of heaven is also holy 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 is the Lord God almighty the whole earth is full of his glory holy 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 is the lord god almighty i can't even look at your face i'm not even worthy to be in your presence holy 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 they are shouting this with everything they have and the doorposts of the temple begin to shake the door the building can't handle the glory of god Holy, holy, holy. For those of you who are English majors in the Hebrew Bible, this would be called like a super superlative. In the Hebrew Bible, you see plenty of times where, where things are said twice. Like gold, gold, like pure gold, gold, gold. It's like you're trying to make an emphasis that something is really pure. But this is the only time, it's the only time in the Hebrew Bible you get three, you get three words. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I can't even just say it twice. I've got to put a third time on there. It's nowhere else. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. There's no one like him. 
Everything begins to shake. Everything goes wild. And look, no wonder verse number five happens. Isaiah says, man, I feel this now. Woe to me, I cried. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm dirty. And all y'all are dirty too. (laughs) And my eyes have seen something they've never seen before. My eyes have seen the king, not the one who died, but the one who will live forever. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. He gets this glimpse, this moment, when he comes into contact with the holiness of God. He sees his impurity. He sees his brokenness. Uh, one of our pastors on staff, her name is, uh, name is Hannah uh, Scott. She's awesome, okay? She is maybe the nicest person on the entire planet, the nicest. And we'll send all of our pastors around to all the campuses, so North and Bishop Arts Oak Cliff, and everybody would get a chance to see her because she's primarily at our White Rock campus. But, man, you see her, her face lights up. She's smiling. She's hugging you with her face, okay? Everything is a huge hug. Whenever you talk to her, you feel, you could feel, you could feel a little bit uncomfortable because she is so incredibly nice. I mean, nice, 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 nice. Whenever I'm around Hannah, and I feel like I'm a pretty nice person, I'm around her and I go, I'm the worst person on the planet. Not because she says I am, but I just feel, you are so nice, Hannah. I'm not that nice. It's not that she even has to say anything. She just has to be who she is, and I see the gap, and it it encourages me to want to be a better lover of people. It encourages me to want to love people more. It encourages me to keep on moving forward. It encourages me to keep on hugging with my face as much as I possibly can. Just her being who she is gives me an indicator of where I am and the gap and how much I want to grow. I'm trying to help us understand here whenever you and I get a glimpse of the holiness and the awesomeness and the magnitude of who God is when we understand that it's not that God has to say you're weak you're nothing you and I understand oh my goodness you're huge have you ever stood next to anyone that's seven foot two they're massive when you're standing next to them they don't have to tell you you're short you're standing there and you go I'm short, and I'm letting us know that too more, too long in the church, we've been okay thinking we're really, really tall because we're the apple of God's eye, and we are the apple of his eye. All of that is true, but we've lost this other side of God where we need to understand that he's also holy, and he's high and exalted, and the train of his robe is filling the temple, and when we get a glimpse of who he actually is, we say, God, I need you. A man of unclean lips. 
Man, I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch of junk. But man, okay, that's, that's the glory. That's the glory. But there's also grace here. There's also grace. There's glory and also grace. You see, they're not fighting against each other because then one of these burning ones, one of these angels, one of these seraphim, they grab a couple tongs from the altar a coal, a burning coal, and now this angel is beginning to move towards Isaiah. What is Isaiah thinking? He's like, oh my goodness, I've seen how dirty I am. I see how messed up I am. I see how, how where my shortcomings are. Oh my goodness, is he coming to hurt me? But the reality is, the angel is not coming to hurt him. The angel is coming to help him. The angel is not coming to tear him down. The angel is actually, actually coming to build him up. The angel is not coming because the angel decided to come. The angel is coming because God said, I want you to move toward my servant right now and I want you to touch the very lips of my servant and I want you to cleanse him. I want you to make him whole. I want you to make him new and this angel at the bidding of our glorious savior Jesus Christ moves towards us, not away from us, but moves towards us and touches us at the very place where we feel most dirty. He said earlier, my lips are unclean, and look where the angel touched. His lips. Where, where do you feel unclean? You're looking at your past like, oh, man, my past is so dirty. It's so messed up. No one can know me. No one can know that about me. I got to cover it up. I, I got to get it off my credit report. I got to make sure nobody ever finds out about that because if they find out about that, they won't accept me. And God's like, hey, 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 yeah, I'm holy. Yeah, I'm high and lifted up. Yes, yes, my glory fills the temple, but now I'm moving towards you. This is who Jesus is. He moves towards us, and he doesn't come saying, hey, I'm better than you. He comes saying, I am who I said I am, and I'm going to give you grace in this moment and he touches us at the very place where we feel most broken oh my goodness okay there's more there's more he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin your sin atoned for. Guilt is something, uh, it's not a physical problem. Guilt is a soul problem. This past week, we were gathering on Wednesday, praying for all the prayer cards like we do every week. So whatever prayer requests you have, we love to pray for them. Even in our, all of our connect groups, we love to get together and pray for each other. Even the men, you know, we got together yesterday and, and had all these house parties, just praying for each other, having each other's back, holding up each other's arms. But in the prayer circle this past Wednesday, um, Shotwell, uh, she was praying, and she said, uh, she's praying for revival. And she said, I know there's many people that don't even believe they deserve the grace of God because of the shame and the guilt that is covering their face. And she was praying against that shame and guilt. Do you see here that Jesus came to deal with your guilt and mine, the scars on our souls? 
the things that we don't like about ourselves, things that people have done to us, they maybe did something physically, but it impacted us in our soul. It's not, some, it's not a scar you can see on your body. It's a scar that's deep on the inside. And this angel, the holiness of God, does not run from us, but comes towards us and says, your guilt is taken away. I'm taking away the part of you that you want to hide. I'm healing the part of you that you want to cover up. I'm re- Redeeming the part of you that is most broken. I'm coming to the place in your soul that other people have tried to step on. And I'm putting you back together. This is the grace of God. Then he says your sin is atoned for. Your sin's atoned for. Your debt's paid. You're covered. My, 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 uh, my oldest son and I, uh, this is uh, last year, uh, because my wife and I have been trying to do some Dave Ramsey stuff, right? Get, get, get all of our finances in order. So get rid of all this debt, get rid of all this debt. And we got, we had a car payment Had this car payment. And, uh, you know, you need to make those payments every single month. But Dave Ramsey is like, Hey, don't, don't have a car payment. So I'm like, okay, Dave. Okay, Dave. So, you know, we're just trying to work towards paying off this car. And the day came, the day, came, it was December, beginning of December before Christmas. We're like, Hey, no, we, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to take this step. I know Christmas is coming, but this will be our Christmas gift. And I take my son with me and we go to the bank and I, I say, Hey, we're here to pay off our car. I'm smiling ear to ear. My oldest son is right there next to me. He was 13 at the time. Now he's 14. We're smiling. I'm like, yeah, we're paying off this car. Now we're rolling around in this car, the car that we own. It's fantastic. But there was a debt that we had on that car. And everywhere we drove that car, I was reminded every month, I was reminded that I have to keep paying on this car. But now I don't pay on the car anymore. Why? Because the debt has been paid. The debt has been canceled. If the bank ever came and took money out of my account for that car, I would tell them they were wrong not because they couldn't do that before before they could but now since the debt's been paid off they can't do it anymore and there are so many things in your life in my life that are trying to collect payment for something that Jesus already canceled there's so much guilt there's so much shame there's so much doubt there's so much insecurity there's so much fear there's so much stuff from our past that is trying to take debits out of our account and you and I have to put a stop payment on that thing and say I'm sorry my debt has been paid the cross of Jesus Christ was sufficient for my salvation my redemption me having a brand new start you and I have been made brand new in Jesus this this is the promise of the gospel do you see the the glory and the grace do you see the glory Church family, nothing else today. I pray that all of us are falling more in love with him, more in love with Jesus. Because who Isaiah saw here was Jesus' glory. And this Jesus is so for you and so for me. And he wants all of our hearts. No wonder Isaiah would say, here am I. Send me. If you wouldn't mind, friends, at all of our locations, bow your heads for just a moment. I ask you to bow your heads, not because it's mystical or magical, but just so that you can focus for just a second.
If you're under the sound of my voice and you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, you've never made him first, you've never made him number one. But if you're honest with yourself right now, you would say you're on the driver's seat of your life. Christ is not. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to do something simple but something incredibly bold. I'm not asking do you have a Bible. I'm not asking were you baptized as a child. I'm not asking were you confirmed. I'm asking have you surrendered your whole heart and life to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking are you perfect. I'm asking do you want to meet perfection. Do you want to surrender your life to perfection. And his name is Jesus. The one that will take away your guilt and pay off your debt and empower you to live your life for his glory. If that's you here. You've never given your heart and your life to Christ or at one point in time you didn't you've slipped away on the count of three i want you to do something simple but something incredibly bold i literally want you to throw your hand in the air say yes that's me i want to give my heart and my life to christ ready one two three just lift your hand in the air you're saying yes that's me come on at all of our locations lift your hand up high you're saying yes that's me god i want all of who you are i want to surrender my heart and my life to serving you this is beautiful I'm going to ask all of us at every location, do me a favor, just put your hand over your heart right now. Put your hand over your heart. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart and I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's lift our heads up. Campus pastors, come on up front. Let's celebrate, church family, all that God has done today.